linguistic objects. Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. I'm Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. We've got a really great program for you today. It's uh, actually part of the first series of Palenque Norte lectures that were given at Burning Man in the year 2003. As any of you who have been to the playa know, that there's uh, a lot of challenges in producing anything on the playa. Uh, actually, there's a lot of challenges just in surviving, and uh, particularly if it's your first year there, which uh, <laughs> actually it was for the Gray family. Uh, and the talk that uh, we're presenting today, as you already know, is from Zena, uh, Allison, and Alex Gray, and it came on Saturday, the day of the burn, and, uh, and it came at the wonderful hour of noon. Now, who the idiot was that scheduled Alex, Gray, and family to speak at noon in the desert on the playa at Burning Man on the day of the burn ought to have his head examined. And, uh, and the truth is, I, I decided never to do something that stupid again. But anyhow, <laughs> it was uh, by far the biggest crowd we ever had for one of our lectures. Uh, it was a real overflow crowd. Uh, you know, we, we counted, and uh, there were close to 500 people there. Uh, and it was just just amazing. Not inside the pod, of course. It was packed to the gills. And to the 500 or so that were able to hear it on the live uh, in, in person there, there were several thousand who caught it on K-Pod radio that we were broadcasting in Black Rock City at the time. So if you go to our website at matrixmasters.com, uh, there's actually a link on the front page with Alex Gray's name on it. And it'll take you right to a page where there's some pictures of this particular event. And you can kind of see what it looked like when uh, the recordings were made. Our particular challenge at Planque Norte was the uh, uh, quality of the recording that day. Our direct feed, feed from the board failed, and the handheld MP3 mic that was being passed around got switched off. And so most of this talk uh, was captured on my cassette tape recorder that I just uh, put on the DJ stand there. And so it's kind of a recording of what it sounded like inside the pod. And, you know, it's not the, the greatest quality recording at all, but at, at least uh, it did get saved. And, uh, you know, while I'd, I'd like to have a much clearer recording, this will at least give you a, a better feeling of what it was like that day on the playa. All in all, uh, the Gray's talk lasted uh, oh, about an hour and a half, uh, and uh, so we can't put it all into one podcast here. The file would just get too immense, and so we're breaking it into two uh, parts, part one and part two. This is obviously part one, and part two we're going to have up on the web at the same time we post this, so you won't have to wait for the Psychedelic Salon number eight. Uh, before we uh, introduce the, the talk, uh, by the way, I want to thank my friends Jacques Cordell and Wells of Chateau Hayuk for letting us use a cut from their CD, uh, which is entitled Nature Loves Courage. Boy, that's a great title, by the way, guys. I love it. Nature Loves Courage. As I mentioned uh, in the beginning, our recording quality could be better, but the quality of the Gray's presentation is just excellent. In fact, uh, I really don't know if there's a better explanation of 
how to create a family life that's in, in harmony with what uh, Terence McKenna espoused in his philosophy of a psychedelic society. And for those of you, by the way, who might still be living at home and have the feeling that your parents just don't get it, you might want to give some thought to asking your parents to listen with you to uh, the two-part talks of uh, the Gray family. And uh, I seriously doubt if you'll, you'll find a more rational discussion about the use of our sacred medicines in the context of a well-grounded and, and very highly creative family life. So... Anyhow, that's uh, something I think you ought to think about. It'd be probably uh, a good move. You might be surprised at how open and rational some parents can be. Well, some parents. <laughs> at least in the blue states, huh? So, let's uh, take a listen now to Zena, Allison, and Alex Gray talk about art, love, family, and psychedelics. I need to uh, say hello and be the first to say hello. And uh, I want to acknowledge you for coming in this hot 12 o'clock. I didn't think that anybody would be up by now. So we were amazed at the crowd. We were very, very touched. And thank you so much for for being here for our talk. Um, I'm Allison Gray, and uh, you know Alex. And I just wanted to introduce Dina Gray, who usually doesn't sit up with us. But I invite, we invite her to do that because of our topic, which is art, love, family, and psychedelics. And because of that topic, Zena uh, is very much a part of our uh, art, love, family, and psychedelics sort of uh, talk or our thoughts on those subjects. And so if, uh, I, I invited her, if she has any comments, to just chime in. And, of course, we're going to try to keep it somewhat brief and uh, keep our comments on those four subjects, that's art, love, family, psychedelics, somewhat brief, and then let you uh, ask questions. And, of course, you can also address your questions to Zena. Um, so, without further ado, I'll let Alex begin the, the uh, brief comments on art. Thank you, and thank you, Lorenzo, for that introduction. And uh, just being here at uh, Burning Man is uh, it's just such an incredible uh, concrescence of creative energy that is completely uh, sort of unauthorized by the uh, art sort of establishment and this is uh, to me the most inspiring gathering uh, on the planet because it, uh, it gives us hope that we're not uh, living only uh, under the boot uh, but that our creative uh, vision is uh, really what's supreme when we're so excited to be able to come to such an inhospitable environment and make it uh, a heaven. Uh, it's truly a transformative uh, gift that we give ourselves to be here and be participants. When we're here, we're all artists and uh, we can recognize and appreciate the greatness of the efforts that have gone into all these striking and inspiring um, structures. And uh, so uh, we're just so thrilled. 
understanding uh, our multi-dimensional reality that uh, Allison and I have um, had the good fortune to encounter. It happened to be that we met each other um, while tripping, and uh, that kind of solidified our relationship. We stayed together. It's been our, our kind of cosmic glue uh, for the last 27 years. And uh, so that coincidence of um, the, what I like to think of as uh, angels' tears, uh, tears cried in compassion through the uh, molecular hijinks in Dr. Hoffman's lab many years ago, um, was that kind of... Uh, micrograms of, uh, of uh, opening that allowed us to recognize each other as this uh, force of, uh, of, of God that we wanted to bring into uh, our lives together and share that. So since psychedelics has uh, uh, given this, this uh, experience of pure, infinite, awareness, infinite love that, that forms the basis of our relationship uh, it, it also informs all these other subjects of art uh, and uh, love, our family and uh, all the things we wanted to talk about today. So in the subject of art this, regarding the subject of art um, and it's such an appropriate subject given um, the expressions that are all going on here from, from what we wear to what we listen to to um, what we are observing what we're driving in what we're writing on uh, all of these have been subject to the scrutiny of our creative awareness and uh, so one of the things though as artists that Allison and I talk about and wonder about is what what is the most important thing to make art about because uh even for abstract painters um, like Barnett Newman, this was his um, his question, it, it, and for him it was the overriding question of uh, what what an artist has to answer for themselves: is what is my subject? And um, so, I, I think that many of us have encountered uh, what that subject is through our various visions and things. It certainly was that way with uh, with Allison and I. Um, the uh, psychedelics opened us up to a realm of vision and specific visionary experiences that uh, then we've attempted to translate into our uh, art. I think that uh, the Burning Man experience here is, uh, I can't speak for many of the artists because I don't know them, but it certainly, to me, uh, is a externalized hallucination uh, that is a, uh, like a, looking at a, a 3D Dr. Seuss uh, kind of world. You know, we're all in Whoville here. Um, and so, uh, yeah. We hear you. We're all um, uh, participants in this kind of uh, extraordinary uh, externalization of the soul, which was really what uh, Terence was uh, harping on for us, you know, when he 
he was saying the pedal to the metal in the art direction uh, was to find this way to uh, externalize the DMT realms, all the realms that are uh, inherent uh, to our creative imagination and have been visited by all the various cultures uh, throughout the millennia. We can look at the Islamic architecture and and the uh, uh, temple structures from all over the uh, world. And these are also uh, keynotes and, and reference points that are incorporated into the beautiful and uh, outrageously uh, grand structures that uh, David Best and the, and the Burning Man Pyramid and all these uh, magnificent structures that are so inspiring. They're uh, taken, it seems, directly from these uh, inner worlds. So, um, however, do you want to start to say some things here? Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to say briefly that, um, you know, in considering being an artist, I think that there are three things, or at least the three that come to my mind right now, uh, to be considered. Three questions, really. One is what to make art about, which is what Alex is just talking about. And, you know, we determined some time ago, well, on LSD, that uh, the, the, the thing to make art about would be the most important thing. I mean, and I, you know, no one can tell you what that is, but uh, for us, it was our, our experience of the infinite oneness and unity of all beings and things. Uh, we could go on and on poetically describing that, but that's what poets are for, is to describe that. And uh, uh, so, what to make art about? That's, that's an important consideration for every artist, and uh, we recommend making it about the most important thing. That's why we're visionaries, you know, that's why visionary artists make art, because they want to make the art about the visions that are the most important to them. So, you have to look inside and see what's the most important thing, and uh, express it, and try to express it the best way you can, so that you're communicating that most important thing to the most people. You know, a lot of times we teach and we see people who will come to us with their art and they'll tell us, you know, what it's supposed to say or what, what the vision was, but they, but you, you don't get that from the vision. That's the problem. So that's the, that's, but we all, that being an artist is the problem and it's what you have to overcome is how to communicate that most important thing in the most communicative way. So that's the first question. The second question is, uh, how do I, how do I do it physically, time and money? It's like, how do I get the time and the money to do the things, to, to fulfill my vision? So that's your second problem. These are all problems. I'm not going to tell you how to answer them. I'm just going to tell you what they are. You know, time and money. And I, you know, we're always advising people to, you know, carve out a few hours, if, if not more. Some of us make art all the time, or we focus our life on our art. But even if you don't, even if you work in a cubicle, but even if you do, uh, you know, to, to come home and to carve out a few hours a day for your creative outlet could mean so much to your life, could be so enriching to us. What would it be? What would it be if you did that? I mean, some of us already do that, but if you don't do that, what, did, what happens to you? You know, how are you dried out inside when you don't find the time and the money? And the money, of course, you know, we can spend great deals of money, we can spend very little money. Art, art materials are, can be very inexpensive, can be found objects. You know, we've all seen Andy Goldsworthy's work, and you know, it goes out in the woods, sticks and leaves. And, or, you know, there's people who build huge structures. So we have to, you know, adapt to that. But these are the concerns. The 
thing for one thing, the fulfillment that you'll get um, from being an artist. What art can do? Well, uh, I think that for one thing, it does represent that um, force of cosmic creativity. That if we're in a universe, we're in a cosmos that uh, is constantly undergoing creation, destruction, recreation, and uh, on such a scale, such an infinite scale in all the galaxies and all the various planets and who knows what kind of life forms have emerged uh, in these various physical worlds as well as the, all the multi-dimensional inner worlds and subtle worlds that we've visited. Uh, there's an ongoing, uh, just boundless field of awareness that's generating news, you know. And when we tap in, we get to a glimpse of these other realms and other dimensions and that, uh, that they're informing us, they're educating us. You know, the universe is like a you know, kind of university that we come to learn something about. Uh, and, and so how do we express what we learn? How do we digest it? How do we integrate uh, whatever knowledge we have in our lives? And to me, the, just the, uh, the nature of the creative act, and whether it's you know building a website or uh, writing a song or um, you know uh, doing a dance, painting a picture, making a drawing, uh, all of these things, making movies, uh, films, uh, all of these things are expressions of, of getting you in alignment with this uh, creative force or this force of universal creativity that we're all an expression of. We couldn't be here unless the universe evolved exactly as it did. And so here we are, these uh, jabbering uh, collections of, of uh, you know, molecules here. And uh, here, just for a brief time, this little package is just like whizzing through space and time. And, you know, we're soon to die and all that. But what does it all mean to you? And uh, art for... You know, through the millennia, what survives, you know? We, we go back and we look at the artworks of all the various cultures. And this is how we get a vibe of, my God, they were, they were going through and dealing with the same kind of shit that we're dealing with now. You know, this, it's a way of extending the human family and human consciousness, um, you know, and passing on the, the gift of appreciation of where you are where you've been, where you are. Uh, artwork can function like that. Certainly for the artist, uh, there's that function of just that kind of healing, getting the uh, monster or getting the inspiration outside of yourself. So art's a creative healing force for uh, those who are engaged in it, but also those who are sensitively open to letting it in. Uh, if you're receptive to uh, great works of art, there is a, uh, a kind of ego-transcending moment where your mind merges with the source of the art. And that the artists themselves, at the great in moments of inspiration, is totally out of their mind as well. So what you have is a connection point, a kind of a, a mode, a, a portal into that alternative... Um, moment or glimpse of liberation or whatever space, maybe it's a glimpse of hell, uh, maybe, it, you know, whatever the glimpse is, uh, 
is out of themselves and into the presence, uh, then uh, you too, uh, through your sensitive viewing, uh, can merge with that moment and likewise live that inspiration. So uh, the, sh the sharing of inspiration is, the, uh, I think, the, the greatest uh, thing that art can do. It empowers any creative act that we want to take in our lives. To have come here and to have witnessed all the various arts uh, and it continually evolving and uh, it is a way of you bringing back that energy into your life and whatever the hell you're doing, you know, then, uh, well, uh, gee whiz, can I, uh, uh, can I imagine uh, making this drawing? Well, look at Black Rock City, my God, you know, of course, give yourself the space to do it, just try it, you know, and uh, so most creative ideas seem outlandish and ridiculous to begin with, and uh, so this should inspire one, I think, to uh, take those steps, and uh, God knows we need uh, the enthusiasm and the hope that uh, any of our creative efforts can add up to um, sustaining our planetary web of life or all the various kind of ideals, uh, creating a life of love uh, and a community that is uh, recognizing each other as expressions of the divine. Uh, these are these sort of moments of uh, interreflectivity uh, that I like to think about as, you know, we're all sacred mirrors of each other. That's the whole point of the thinking about sacred mirrors. And uh, the artworks that we do can express that. So that's, uh, I've jabbered long enough here. <laughs> Like, 
there's a long list, you know, of things that love doesn't look like, and uh, you have to recognize those things, and you have to know what love does look like, what love looks like, you know, nurturing, supporting, through through all the uh, various uh, things that each person in a couple wants to do, uh, not limiting, um, and and just you know, you have to determine what love looks like. That's a long topic, but once you have chosen that right person, stop choosing. A lot of people choose that person and then they uh, keep looking, you know, and that doesn't work. Um, Once you do that, I'll hear the black rocks. You know, that's really up to every individual. Maybe some people here are still looking. I don't know. But for us, that works. And for everybody, it works differently. So I'm not trying to say that ours is the only kind of relationship that a person can have. We know that people have open relationships and whatever works for you. But for us, what works is to choose and stop choosing and uh, choose good. Because I think we both felt like we had made a good choice. And uh, one, one of the ways that we knew that we made a good choice, there's a, lot of different, there's a lot of aspects of making a good choice. Chemistry is very important. You know that you can be, you know, best friends is number one. We always put best friends at the top. It's good to be, you know, in a relationship with your best friend. Because then, you know, there's that, you know, you always want the best for your best friend. And they always want the best for you. So the best friend thing is good. But then there has to be chemistry. Because I know we, we've all had relationships with, our, with the, you know, with a person who's our best friend. But we don't have the chemistry, maybe, the sexual attraction. That's pretty important. I mean, you've got to have that. It's got to, it's got to stay there. In the relationship. I don't know. I mean, it's just, that's what's very important. But in choosing, if you're if you're in a position where you don't have that that one person, you haven't found that one person, and you are searching, and you feel like you wonder how am I going to ever find that person? Here's here's a piece of advice that we that we say is basically pursue what you love. You know, start getting busy pursuing having a passion is really an important thing. And if you pursue what you love, you will attract people. Nobody wants to be wants to be with somebody who's sort of uninteresting or doesn't have a passion. You need to find your passion. And once you've found your passion, you will just instantly attract people. People are attracted to passionate people. So whatever it is that you love, just pursue it. And then, if you don't find that person that you love, at least you're doing what you love. You know? I mean, you can spend your life doing what you love. So what would be better, you know? I mean, I know that it, it may seem impossible, you know, to find that absolutely perfect person. But, you know, you don't want to stop pursuing your passion. So I think that's that's very important part of uh, finding. Well, just uh, going back to the uh, tripping reference points, um, on, on uh, well, probably every trip that we take together, but one of, one of the ones uh, uh, that uh, Allison and I were on, we recognized... I, I was working in an anatomy lab uh, where we had a lot of uh, samples of human pathology and things like that. And many of those were Siamese twins. And uh, they were quite extraordinary. And one of them was uh, these uh, um, babies these, uh, that were connected at the head. And it's called craniophagus. Wherever uh, there's a connection with Siamese twins, they call it ophagus, you know, like, Thoracophagus, you know, if your thorax is attached to uh, the other. And so we recognized um, that we were spiritophagous, you know, uh, and that uh, 
in fact, we're all spherical things. You know, uh, we're we're one mass of uh, interconnectedness. But uh, to be able to recognize that as the basis of your relationship, that there is a, a commonality of uh, spiritual love energy that you share, um, that, uh, that that's flowing through both of you, and you're both an expression of that, a, a kind of a unique uh, meat package of uh, that infinite uh, creative love energy. And uh, so we're all here in this love circuit. So I think of being able to recognize each other as an expression of that universal love um, sort of uh, was, was one key recognition. Um, why look elsewhere? Uh, you, you could equally argue, well, then why not look everywhere? You know? But uh, for us, and just because we're artists, we like to get things done, too, and we care uh, so much for each other, that uh, there was the notion that, well, look, you are an expression of the all and the divine, um, and gee whiz, we had this recognition with each other, uh, let, let's honor that as the core of our relationship. And one of the other trips, uh, when I was staring at Allison in this kind of meditative, you know, back and forth, tantric kind of, hello, how are you, uh, just eye bridge thing, um, it was like, uh, and probably this is happening to everybody, but um, in a similar situation, where you recognize, like, oh, uh, you're you, but, like, you're also uh, that person, and that person, and that person, and that person. And, and it was like a, mor a morphing uh, uh, kind of multi-human, every person kind of mask uh, that... Yes, we're this flesh, this particular conglomeration, but uh, equally, uh, we're, uh, I don't know what that was or what it was trying to show me, but we're everyone at the same time. And not only just like humans of every uh, sort of race and, and uh, physiognomy, but there were also uh, expressions of the uh, animal life forms and things like that as well that were running through it. Just like, here we are. We're life forms. We contain all being within ourselves. And just to recognize that, well, if you're everyone, why should I look elsewhere? <laughs> you know, uh, may as well stay right here. You know. Uh, so now you found the person, if you found that person, how do you keep it interesting? How do you maintain that relationship? How do you, you know, keep it going for the rest of your life? Because even though I haven't had the rest of my life, I tell you, the 27 years is really, it's a great training. It's great, you know, for honing your, yourself. I mean, this is one thing I was going to say, that, um, that in order to have a really working relationship, you have to believe that there is some honing to do here, you know. But basically, you're not, you know, you're not uh, enlightened yet, and there are there are areas uh, that are rough edges that could be smoothed and, you know, and honed, and you have improvements to make. So you, if you see this person as, as assisting you in, in, in that process, that's a good way of, you know, because, because it, you know, if you think you have problems, then they're all their fault. That's, you're wrong. You know, it's basically you've got stuff too. So in order to, you know, kind of go through your stuff and learn more about yourself and become a better person, that's, that's a good reason.
reason to have a long-term relationship, and it, and it does help you to uh, to discover those uh, things about yourself and to you know trans have transformation in your life. Because you know what else is important but transformation? I mean, we can we can have that for our whole life. And um, one of the principles that we think is interesting about uh, transformation, or uh, for us, it's, we call it the theory of compatible pathologies, which means that. <laughs> You know, each one of us is the city. You know, you know, Alex. You know, has when we were first together, he had a, a issues with depression, and he gets kind of depressed, and that's the way he manifests. His, you know, his negativity is sort of like you know, self, self. You know, um, I don't know, loathing, whatever. And then, and then I'm sort of like more like the cheerleader, and I'm like, oh, everything's great, and you know, it's gonna be fine, and I've got this sort of like positive. But for the, on the other hand, I grew up. In a very angry, angry genes, you know, or I have like this tendency to, to like, you know, occasionally get moody or, or angry. Well, Alex grew up in this sort of Protestant home where they never got angry, so that helped a lot, you know, to have somebody in my life that never got angry, and it was a really great, uh, uh, you know, influence on me. So we both kind of tempered a lot in those ways, and we know that we know that about each other that you know my pathologies are tempered by Alex's strengths and vice versa, and that's compatible pathology. So that in another person, that you're not totally, you know, like, well and whole, and could become, you know, healed through that person. We've had many healings to each other. And uh, the other principle that we, we call the better than me principle, it's very helpful to see that person as, you know, sort of awesome. It's like, whoa, you know, Alex will be, you know, we'll be sitting at our pod, you know, we have this pod of drafting tables, the three of us, and we'll be sitting there working, and I'll say, so what are you thinking about? And, you know, Alex will say, Oh, I was just, you know, I'll be thinking, I'll be thinking my table, and I'll be thinking about, like, what we're going to have for dinner, and, like, what my mother just said to me, and, you know, and, uh, you know, how I'm going to, you know, what I'm going to wear to the party next week. And Alex will be, you know, like, I just was reading Hegel, and uh, it was so fascinating how it relates to what I read last week about Schopenhauer, and, like, he's, like, doing this whole philosophical thing in his head. It, it just brings me out of my, you know, myself, and I think, whoa, you know, why is he, you know, me. I can't believe that, uh, that he would like have chosen me. And he's just brilliant and you know, uh, kind of stuff. So feeling that way, and I and I and hopefully, you know, and not just hopefully, but you know, Alex tells me that he feels similarly about me in the, in my selection of him. Having those feelings about each other uh, really helps to, to keep the relationship together because you keep you keep seeing that person. It, it's about admiration and respect. We talked about chemistry and best friend, and then there's admiration and respect. I think those are important points. Uh, I, I just wanted to add with that that uh, uh, I, I completely concur, and this is just to underscore what Allison said. Uh, Norbu, uh, Nankai Norbu, who is a Tibetan Buddhist master and one of our teachers, uh, said that uh, the principle of uh, sort of the uh, transmission uh, that you're trying to get from your guru, like if you take on a guru, um, then uh, it it really matters how you regard them. And uh, of course, in this lifetime, Allison and Zena are my gurus, and so and Norbu as well. Most of you, uh, but. Uh, importantly, uh, Allison's my main guru, and uh, so he was saying it really matters how you regard your guru, 
person, then you'll get this kind of transmission of just a normal person. If you regard them as an enlightened Buddha, as a, uh, as, as a force of uh, spiritual awakening in your life, uh, in a sense transcending some of those other elements, which they may also be, but if you hold them uh, in their essence as uh, that enlightening presence, then that is the transmission and that is the um, forward movement that you can expect in your life. Uh, and so for me, she's an expression of that principle, that highest principle. Uh, and so in that, I can trust when um, I get whacked, you know, like the, the uh, Zen master's uh, staff. That it's, uh, uh, or as you're walking through the valley of the shadow of the dove, you know, and uh, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You know, you're talking about a force of the absolute. Um, and if you're able to see past your defenses and see uh, and recognize how they're training you, uh, then uh, that's also a help. I don't know. I guess we have an abnormally good relationship. Um, a lot of my friends like fight with their parents or whatever. I don't know. Um, but yeah, we we disagree, but it's not like just because I'm a teenager we like hate each other or something. So um, I don't. I don't know. We get along pretty well, I think. Communication, communication, communication. And of course, 
I, can I can I say that mention this because this is what happened to me. I, I was uh, my first DMT experience. Um, you know, I had all these questions. I had a lot of issues. You know, I had like an agenda. I was going to ask the the elf and spirit like a, a certain questions I wanted to have answered, and it goes pretty quick. You know, it's like ten minutes across your across your vision. So I could see them coming. I mean, I, well, I, I couldn't see any person actually, but I started with my questions. I was like. You know, how do I be a better parent? I think, you know, I just wanted to be a better parent. And oh, the first thing that happened was they were laughing at me. Like, there they were over there, and they were, like, laughing at me. And I wasn't, like, used to that. I'm taking myself a little too seriously, probably. And I just, like, they were laughing at me. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to ask my questions now. You know, how do I be a better parent? And it, they said, laugh more. And then I said, well, okay, but how do I be a better wife? You know, how do I be the best partner I could be? Well, laugh more. How do I be the best artist? Well, give me my next art idea. You know, like, I, you know, like I got this art thing, I can't decide, and like, what am I going to do? Laugh more. So basically, laugh more was all they told me, and they just laughed at me the whole time. <laughs> and I, I feel like that's really the best thing to do in a relationship when, you know, things aren't, you know, just... Remember to laugh more. It's really the way to keep a relationship together. It's a great, it's a great kind of glue. All right. So our, our third topic was family, and uh, you know some of you are have well, you're all part of a family, and some of you have your own uh, families, kids, and whatever. And so the first question is, if, if, especially if you're not parents, is why be parents? You know, like why even be a parent? It's such a lot of work, and it's so hard. And, and, and like, why even do it? Some people just some people do decide not to be parents, and I think that's a really good decision for some people. So I'm not thinking that everyone should be parents, because you know, if you feel I thought for, for a long time that I wouldn't be a parent. Ever since that my mother remembers me saying when I was little that I wasn't going to be a parent, and I didn't want to be a parent in my 20s, and then in somewhere in my late 30s, I really it was like there's nothing I could think about except being a parent. I just wanted to have a child so bad I could feel it. I could taste it. It was like every pregnant person I was, uh, it was jealous of, you know, and I, I wanted a baby really, really bad when I was about 34. And then we had seen it when I was 36. So if you feel like you, you need to wait, I, I just, you know, it's, it's been great being an older mother. I mean, it's, it's actually great because I would have been a terrible mother in my 20s. And I think I, you know, I mean, Zena will tell you whether Yeah. 
of thing. And so I won't, you know, try to listen here, but, you know, I'm really, really happy to field questions about about uh, parenting and family and this sort of thing. Um, I think that this relates to what we were talking about before, about recognizing uh, the what the guru is an expression of, and thereby what each of us are an expression of. And so if you're if you're thinking about having a child or something like that, then uh, and having relationships and things like that, I, if you can recognize them as uh, this already enlightened presence that is coming into form that you're able to have a relationship with, uh, if that's the basis of your relationship, uh, that you know their inherent goodness and and purity and uh, and completion already, and you nurture that. You know, it's like what happens when these tolkus get born and they're they're raised over in uh, Tibet and uh, by those who are honoring them as reincarnated uh, lama, uh, reincarnations of a great enlightening presence. Uh, if we could take that as a reference point, it's just in some way, you know, uh, when we're relating to our uh, children, then perhaps that can foster that kind of um, uh, space and spaciousness and uh, love and presence, compassion, wisdom, all the forces of, of uh, goodness that we want to um, help nurture in each other. So that's the... Uh, getting down to an essence of, of, uh, of how I think that we could a- approach our relationship with each other. It's just that respect and, uh, and honor of, of that level. Well, I, I was going to say something about the basic principles of parenting. With, is, uh, we, we were coming up with a list of, um, frankly, I'm, I'm writing a book on the subject, on, on this, this, this whole topic, and... Uh, and so I was sort of enlisting Alex and Dina, and the three of us were coming up with, uh, the subject was, how would we like to be parented? I mean, this is, this is the way I, I think this is the best parenting. It's basically, how, if you were a child, how would you like to be parented? You know, and coming up with that list, you know, we came up with things like, um, we would like our parents to teach us things. We'd like our parents to be available to us. We like our parents, and you, you can come up with this list yourself. I won't, I won't go into too much detail with that. But in thinking about, you know, uh, the best way to parent, I think that first number one is seeing your child as, as a reincarnated Buddha, your guru, your teacher. That you know, in every stage of the way, you're reflecting, you're reflected on yourself. And uh, if you had, if you knew that your child was a reincarnated Buddha, would you punish them? Would you hit them? Would you? call the names, would you be sarcastic with them, you know, would you yell at them. So seeing those reincarnated Buddha is the first step in being, you know, I think in being aware of yourself as a parent. You know, the Dalai Lama was taken from his parents, but he was raised as a reincarnated Buddha, and you know, you can imagine what his upbringing was like. It was it had an incredible amount of respect and love, um, and that's what we, you know, what we all want to do with our children. So, um, so that's important. But then just the list of, if you were a child, and we all were children, how would we like to be parented? We would like a parent to forgive us when we make mistakes. We would like a parent to be appropriate in, in appropriate situations, to, to uh, you know, to be healthy and to take care of themselves, you know, exercise and eat right. We'd like 
you know, those kinds of things. I won't, I won't go into the whole list, but it was a fun, it was a fun exercise to come up with, like, you know, to be thinking about the way you would like to be parented if you were a child. I think that's a great way to, uh, to think about parenting. Sorry, I'm going to have to break into the flow of this wonderful discussion right here, but there's still more than a half hour left, and we don't want to make this podcast just be monstrously long. So we'll uh, sign off for now and uh, probably see you in Psychedelic Salon number 8, where we're going to bring you part 2 of this great presentation, and it's where Allison and Alex talk about parenting in the psychedelic age, or as Allison likes to call it, parenting in other mind states. And they also tell a little bit about their vision for the Chapel of Sacred Mirrors. Uh, of course, this was in 2003, their vision, and a lot has happened since then. And you got to check that out on Alex's website. For you Tool and String Cheese fans, uh, by the way, that part two of this talk, uh, Alex does bring up uh, Tool and String Cheese and mentions something about working with them. And the uh, Grays also discuss the relative merits of art school and other educational institutions in general. So unless I miss my guess, we'll probably be seeing you here again in the Psychedelic Salon. For more information about us, you can just go to matrixmasters.com or to pick up just the audio uh, feeds from our website, you can go to planquenorte.org, P-A-L-E-N-Q-U-E-N-O-R-T-E.org. And uh, we don't have all of our MP3 files uh, in podcast format yet, but you can certainly download them and uh, listen to a lot of the presentations we've produced so far and some that are coming from other producers. And if you haven't been to the Gray's websites, you can find them at www.zenagrey.com. Allison Gray, A L L Y S O N G R E Y dot com, or Alex Gray, A L E X G R E Y dot com. Of course, you can always Google them and find a couple hundred thousand other hits if you're interested and really ambitious. Well, thanks again for joining us here in the Psychedelic Salon, and for now, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be well, my friends.